My subject this morning is grace-based religion. Last week, my message was that was entitled, Where Are You? And uh, it was the truth about our Father in heaven. You see, most of us have a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. We read some 60 stories about how God has punished the children of Israel and how he has punished others with him, and he leaves us no explanation for it. And so we're kind of caught. You know, we read about God saying to the children of Israel, destroy every man, woman, and child, and we wonder, what is going on? And God doesn't tell us the reason in the Old Testament. And so when I read the Old Testament, and I read about these 60 stories about how God is punishing the, the wicked and, and actually punishing sometimes the righteous, I think when I read it, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like the same God in the New Testament. And so when I was an early Christian, I thought, well, maybe God is going to explain himself, and he does. He explains himself in the New Testament. And so that's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here we have a God who says, suffer the little children, let them come unto me. And Jesus says, I can do nothing except the Father does it through me. So the Father was speaking to him, suffer the little children, let them come unto me. So we found out that we we don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to be afraid of him at all. God is a wonderful, merciful God as revealed through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So, but there are some who are afraid of God. Many see God as a lawgiver and uh, the ultimate rule giver. In fact, they see the Heavenly Father as a rewarder of the obedient and a punisher of the disobedient. If you want your share of your inheritance that God has promised us, according to some, they think that if you don't walk that line right, then you're going to miss out on your piece of the pie. And so they have a distorted view of God. Now, we have all heard the story of the prodigal son. We have heard probably, if you've been a Christian for 15 years, you've probably heard it 15 times. It's recorded in Luke, chapter 15. It's a beautiful story about a father's love. You probably recall that story. The prodigal son comes to his father and he says, look, he said, "Uh, give me my inheritance now. And his father says, okay, I'll do that. So he gave him his inheritance. He went off into a far country, blew all the money that he got. And then when he had nothing, he came to the realization that life isn't working and maybe I would be better off if I went home. And so he goes home. The father welcomes him. The father says to his slaves, he says, I want you to put the best robe on him. And then he says, 
he gives his son the ring. Now, the ring was a Visa credit card, really, because it was a signature on, his, on the ring that he could buy anything that he wanted from the merchants. Is all he had to do is take that ring and push it down. In a, they had a, uh, some clay there, and that was his credit. And he could buy anything he wanted to. And then on top of all of that, he throws his son a party. And so I want us to look at a little bit of what happened to the elder son. Because there's some of us here that are elder sons. So in Luke 15, 25, the Bible says, Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summons one of the servants and began inquiring about these things. These things could be. What's going on? And the servant said to him, your brother has come home. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became, the elder son became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and he said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate, I might celebrate with my friends. And notice the response, and when the son and when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the Bible says, and he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. So here we have the story of the elder son. And you can picture it in your own mind. We have this elder son, he's coming in from the field, he's probably covered with sweat and he's worked hard all day, and now he hears his music and dancing, and then he finds out it's because his good-for-nothing brother has come home. And then he's mad, and he refused to go in. And so the father, looking at everybody, sees that his eldest son isn't there, and so he goes out and he searches for the elder son. And when he finds him, he says, come on in and celebrate the return of your brother. But you can hear the elder son who says, I don't get it. I really don't get this, he says to his father. All these years I have been slaving for you, kept every one of your rules, never disobeyed you, always went to church with you, Never did I get a fatted calf. Never did you throw a party for me. I've got nothing, and I continually get nothing. And then looking at, he says, and then when you look at your son who's a loser, he blew all the money you gave him. And then you come and throw him a party. He comes home, and you celebrate. And what do I get? He says, I get nothing. 
I'm like a slave. Now, maybe some of us have grown up in a religion that has taught that you can expect God's reward and punishment solely on the basis of how you obey the rules. Could it be that many Christians have been following God all these years with a sense of have-tos instead of want-tos? Slaving away for God because they're convinced that the only way that that is how they're going to get their inheritance? And some of us, we may have given and, and worked for God feeling and, and somehow expecting that somehow we would get a reward at the end. And so we go through the actions. But we find out that it's very costly. You see, <clears throat> there is no joy, there is no peace, and there is no freedom. I can tell you from experience that if I went and visited all the churches in this area and throughout the, out the country, maybe throughout the world, you would find millions of Christians who have no joy, there is no peace, and above all, there is no freedom. And yet, the father says to his son, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. This is what God is telling us. All that I have is yours. The elder brother, he never ran away from home, but he never understood grace. He never comprehended what love was really, and he had no peace, and he had no joy living in his father's house. He looked at everything as him being a slave. All he knew is was that all of his life he was trying to please his father. And there's millions of Christians who all of their life, the only thing they wanted to do was to please God. They had no idea that they were already pleasing to God. They thought that if they kept the rules, they were pleasing to God. If they didn't keep the rules, God was not pleased with them. The prodigal son is really a reaction of the mentality of the elder brother. Both of these brothers are sick and tired of all the rules. You know, we have this, and I have to put myself into this category too. We have a lot of people who feel that they don't want to be told anything. They don't want no one to tell them how to live. Not their family, not their church, not their school, not their government. They don't want anybody telling them how to live. But both boys really wanted the same thing. They wanted to be free. They wanted to be free. And what they didn't realize that their father, his relationship was not with the rules. That's all he wanted was a relationship with his sons. And those of us that have been fathers, I've had three sons, and all three of them, they rebelled for just a little bit. 
And I wanted to make sure that they understood that I loved them no matter what they did. But somehow, I got, they got the message that I loved them if they followed the rules. And so it's easy for us to get that message, isn't it? The real truth is that Father values relationship over the rules. Did you hear the message? God isn't somebody to be afraid of. The father doesn't run to the prodigal son and restore the broken, the broken rules. His heart races to his son to restore a broken relationship. The father hurries after the elder son when he's not there. And he assures him that all that I have is yours. Now, when I think of the prodigal son, a lot of times my mind goes back to my own father. And uh, I never grew up with a father. I think he, he went to jail when I was uh, seven or eight. I'm not sure just when. But I remember that, you know, sometimes the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And when I was a youngster, I got into a lot of trouble. And um, I had uh, did a lot of bad things. And so I had to, uh, I was brought up in St. Paul, Minnesota. And my, I had a cousin, a half cousin, I guess he was. And he was a police officer. And he came to our house. And he told me that, that I better leave the state and not come back. Uh, because they knew all the things that I had done. And so... I decided I better get out. I better follow his advice. And so I read a letter from my grandmother, whom I didn't know. And she said that in this letter, for some reason I read it, it was on the dining room table. And she said that she believed that our father was someplace in the state of Washington. So I bought a ticket to Seattle, Washington. And I was going to try to look him up, see if I could find him. And um, I'll never forget the morning that I called his home. I looked in the phone book and found an alert. And um, I said, is this Robert H. Ellert? And he says, yes. I said, this is Gary B. Ellert. And he says, you mean my son? And I said, I, I guess so. And he asked me where I was. And, he, and I told him, and he says, I'll be right down to get you. And I said, well, how will I know you? He says, you don't have to worry about that. I'll know you. And so I stood on that corner thinking watching men walk down and think, no, he couldn't be my father. And then I saw this tall man, about six foot tall, and I said, no, he's too small, I'm too short. And uh, he came up and he introduced himself, and I met my father. And then uh, it didn't take me long to know that he, was, he had been married, this was his third time. It didn't take me long to know that uh, they thought it would be better if I would move on someplace else. And so I... I joined the Marine Corps. And then um, years went by, and I became a preacher. My father moved to California, and um, I found out where, and so I went to see him. Now I'm a minister, and I go to see him, and he says to me, uh, let's go fishing. And so we got into, uh, he lived near a lake, and we went fishing, and I began to talk to my father. 
And I said to him, Dad, I said, uh, I, I had found out a lot about him. I found out that he was 15 years old. He gave his life to Christ. At 16 years old, he ran away from home, never to return. He spent most of 30 years looking for his real mother. And um, he found her, and she told him that she never wanted to see him again. That she had now, she had another family, and, and so... Uh, and then I had, uh, a few years later, I had the privilege of meeting her, and she told me the same thing. She never wanted to see me again. So she was, uh, she, she was full of problems, I guess. But anyway, I sat there in the boat, and I said to my father, I said, Dad, I, said, I want to share something with you. And I shared with him how I found Christ. And then I said to him, Dad, I said, you can never run far enough and fast enough but you will always run into the loving arms of Father, to a Father who wants you to come home. And uh, I went through some other things, and, he, and then he stopped. He said, would you go over it again? So I went over it again. And I said, Dad, you cannot run far enough and fast enough, but you'll always run into your heavenly Father who wants you to come home. And then I had the privilege, a couple years after that, I had the privilege of baptizing him. And it was indeed a great privilege. I told him, I remember telling him, you know, Dad, I said, God started a work in you when you were 15 years old. 15 years old. And I says, he promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. He said, he started a good work in you, and he will finish it. So it's not up to me. It's not up to anybody. God's going to finish it. And what a wonderful day it was when I baptized him, and to see what God said is true, that he will finish it. So all of us probably have a little prodigal son in us, prodigal daughter in us. And yet, we are not saved by how we behave. We are saved by how we believe. When God came and knocked on the door of your life, you responded. You opened the door and he came in. And when he came in, he gave you a new heart and he gave you a new spirit. And that spirit and that heart was a perfect heart and a perfect spirit. But why is it so hard for Christians to enjoy their new life in Christ? It seems like when they first accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they were excited, life was beautiful, life was good. And then the world came at them. And a lot of them just ran away. And those who didn't run had a hard time finding joy. Because you see, they believe that in order for you to have joy, you have to earn it somehow. And I can tell you, if you want joy in your relationship with Christ and you believe you have to earn it, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. You see, joy is gratitude. We feel gratitude when we receive gifts. And listen, a real gift 
never puts the receiver in debt. You don't give a gift to get one back. When you give a gift, you give them a gift that is debt-free. It is a gift. It's not a reward for being good or kind or anything else. And a gift is only to be enjoyed. Now, the Bible talks about the gift of salvation. The Bible talks about the gift of eternal life. The Bible talks about the gift of righteousness. Do you realize that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you received all three of those gifts? Yes, you are righteous. You are right before God. You have Christ living in you, and at your deepest core, you are as righteous right now that you'll ever be in your life. Now, you'll mature in understanding about God, but you have all three of those gifts right now. Remember, the goal is not, not for me to change myself. Many feel like they are playing a game with God. And the game is called denial. To believe that God is not disappointed in me. To believe that God loves me. Everyone who entertains those thoughts, they think there's got to be some sort of accountability. And so we have all sorts of programs in the Christian church. For accountability. And so we feel that, yes, I know that God loves me, but there's got to be a hook. There's got to be something in this. There's got to be some sort of accountability that I have to go through. And so it's difficult. They find no joy. They find no excitement in the Christian life. Because they're worried about that accountability. Millions of Christians are trying to change from who they were to who they feel they should be. You are no longer who you were. When you opened that door to Christ, you opened a, he came in. You opened it, he came in. And when he came in, on your worst day, on your very worst day, you are better than what you were. When our goal is maturing in Christ, then the Christians are trying to change from who they were to who they are or who they should be. But we believe, when, we're, when we believe that we are perfect in the eyes of God, when we believe that he accepts us just the way we are, then we believe that there is a maturing process that will take a lifetime. In the Bible, it's called sanctification, set aside for holy use. And God is recreating us into his image, and that is going to take us a lifetime, and we'll never, ever accomplish it completely. Not as long as we have this body. And so... When we accepted Christ, we were made right at the moment that we believed him and asked him to come into our life. And we have confidence now that we are in a maturing process of trusting God, 
of our new identity in Christ. You know that you have been changed into a new creature. You are fused. There is a union now with Christ. He is maturing you in his way and in his time. Now, do we really believe that? If we believe that, there's no reason why we shouldn't be joyful. God is recreating us, the Bible says, into his image. Let him do it his way and his time. You know, when you think of everything, we serve an incredible God. A God who loves us, accepts us, and he promised us that he will recreate us into his image. It's a process and not for us to worry about the process. Not to, for us to worry about where we are in the process. When you are grace-based, you will know that you are worthy. In Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The Bible says that when you opened your heart, he came in. Now you are his workmanship. He is recreating you. He is maturing you. And don't worry about where you are, what step of the maturing you're in. It's all you have to be concerned about is you know that you're in. And you're in. In Matthew 5, 13 and 14, the Bible says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's how God looks at you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are my workmanship. In 1 Corinthians 6, 17, the Bible says this. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. When I talk about being fused with Christ, when I talk about being united with Christ... This is the text that comes to my mind. We are one spirit with him. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. In 620, the Bible says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then in 620, for you have been brought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You are worthy. You have been bought by the Lord Jesus Christ. You are everything he wants you to be. If there's any changes, he's going to make it. If you make it, you'll never find the joy. It'll be something you've done and you'll fall and fail. There are 63 references in the New Testament that calls you a saint. When in the world are we going to believe that we're saints? Why do we have to refer to ourselves as sinners? We're not sinners. We're saints. And God says that you are worthy. Notice what Jesus says in John 15, 16, and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whenever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, 
This text has caused a lot of issues in the past. But thank God that we're getting, beginning to find out more and more from our good theologians and everything. What the Bible is speaking about here is that Jesus is referring to his disciples and he's telling them there's a special purpose that he has for them. Now Jesus said to each disciple, follow me. They accepted the invitation and they followed him. And now he says, I chose you. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't choose this. I appointed you to bear fruit that your fruit would remain. And then the Bible says, this I command you, that you love one another. The Lord has chosen us. He has knocked on our door. We have opened the door. We have received him. He has come in. He's given us a new heart. He's given us a new spirit. And he has, he has, given, he has equipped us with everything that we need at our core. At our core. The Lord has chosen every believer, every born-again believer, to bear that fruit. What is that fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. You will find that you will be maturing in love. You'll be maturing in patience. You'll be maturing in kindness. This is God recreating you into his image. This is you maturing. You will look back 10 years from now, you'll look back and you say, wow, God has really done a work in me. God has really done a work with me. I'm changing. But other people will see it before you will. The Bible says that you are abiding in Christ. What does abiding mean? Well, if I say that I'm abiding in West Virginia, that means I live there. When you're abiding in Christ, you're experiencing what Paul did in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want to tell you something. It takes courage to believe that you are worthy. Paul said Christ was his true self. And what he meant was that Jesus was the model of that self. Now Paul expresses it very clearly that he never actually matched that Christ self. It takes courage to identify to the Christ self as our own self. Christ living in me. Christ lives in me and he expresses himself through me. Yes, you are worthy. But it takes courage for you to believe that. When you believe that, when you believe that you opened that door and Christ came in and now he has chosen you to bear fruit, then everything becomes a reality. The reason it takes courage is because it also increases shame for not living up to it, 
All of us, we feel shame when we measure up, when we think of measuring up to the level of our Christ self. We're disappointed in ourselves. But here's where grace comes in. Grace gives us spiritual energy. How? Because we trust that the gap between our flesh and our Christ self, there is that gap. But that gap in no way, never does it become a form of rejection from God. Grace-based Christians live lightly about their imperfections. We believe that God is saying, to, is saying to us that you are everything that I want you to be. You are perfect. You are blameless. Paul says that he no longer is shamed by his critics. He only cares what God thinks. Do we, are we at the same place? Do we only care what God thinks? I'll tell you what God thinks. I'll tell you what God thinks of you. You opened the door, he came in, gave you a new heart, gave you a new spirit. You're solid at the core. And he says that you are perfect forever in Hebrews. He didn't say that you would act perfect. He didn't say that you would feel perfect. He just said that you are perfect forever. God says that you are complete in Christ. He never said that you would feel complete. He never said that you would act like you're complete. He simply says you're complete. God says that you are righteous. He's never asked you to believe or feel that you are righteous. He just wants you to believe that you are righteous. Righteousness is a right standing before God. He's given you three gifts. He's given you the gift of salvation. He's given you the gift of eternal life. He's given you his gift of righteousness. That's what he thinks of you. He thinks you're pretty precious. He thinks he loves you because you turned to him. You opened the door for him. And he came in. His only desire is that all would come to believe in him. And that none would perish. But we know that there are going to be some that will. And God wants you to enjoy those gifts that he gave you. And remember... Never, ever put under, you have never been put under any obligation to do anything but enjoy those gifts. Because they're not rewards, they are gifts. And they're given to you without any obligation on your part. I mean, that's unbelievable. That is really remarkable that he would do such a thing. And so we have joy because that expresses our gratitude for those gifts that he has given to us. We go throughout this day and every day of our life praising him and thanking him. Oh yes, there are times the world comes at us 
and it throws us a curve. And there are times that we don't, we don't act like we enjoy all these gifts. But then reality comes. And God's spirit comes to us. And he says, you are everything that I've ever wanted you to be. And you are as righteous now today, this morning, than you will ever be in your life. You will only experience the maturing process. What a wonderful God we serve. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for being everything that you said you were. We just are so thankful and grateful that you have opened the door or that you have come and knocked on our door and we have opened the door and you have come in. We thank you for the gift of salvation that is free. It's a gift. We're thankful for the gift of righteousness. Oh, Lord, we praise you for that. That you have, that you have seen in, in us a willingness a, and a love and you gave us a right standing before God. We're thankful, Lord, for those that the gift of eternal life, where there's no end and there's no beginning. We're thankful that Christ is living in us. And we just want to express to you that we are willing, that we want, we want you to live your life through us in every aspect of our life. For this we praise you and thank you for. For we ask all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.